Ahoy hoy, post edit Clive here. Two things, um, just quickly. First off, this was recorded three or four weeks ago, so some of the lockdown rule mentions, etc., are a bit out of date. Apologies about that, it's just taken me a while to edit it because I've been really busy. Uh, second, <coughs> still using my headset mic on this one, so the audio quality isn't as good as it normally is. Um, so apologies about that, but I have now got the attic studio sorted and so from now on it'll be sounding nice and crisp um, anyway that's all i wanted to say hope you enjoy the episode have a good one toodles get your head out of the clouds get your feet back on the ground get stuck into pop culture Stick Around. Hello there and welcome to Stick Around. The podcast that's more backed up than the M20. Brought to you by Chupper Chups. <laughs> wow, it's been a bit a while since I've had one of them, Michael. What inspired you to uh, reach out to the guys at CC? I'm intrigued mostly, intrigued. I was, I was also intrigued by the fact that they seem to still be afloat despite the fact that I don't feel like anyone's had a chopper shop in about 20 years, you know what I mean? I went through a period where I wasn't eating any sugar or very limited amounts, where chubba chups were a source of in- enjoyment, because they do quite a lot of sugar-free flavours. Oh, uh, so that's, they've diversified, that's it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the cola lolly, um, that's my favourite. Mm. Although, they don't tend to last me very much to lick them to death, but nah. I prefer to get a good, good old crunch on. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah, you're a, a cruncher. That's controversial. Yeah, you get get just bite the thing in half, mm. crunch it. Yeah, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say I crunched or licked. I suck. <clears throat> well, right? Okay. okay, interesting. God knows. That that would, I feel like the sucking are. sucking for that long would cause me some pain in the the face. <laughs> oh, muscles. I bet it would. I bet it would. Yeah. I've had that problem uh, before. Al. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, the guys at Chubba Chups are keen to let uh, potential consumers know that there are many ways to enjoy a Chubba Chup. Uh, don't be limited. Um, you know, it's a diverse and tolerant company, uh, which is happy for you to take on sugar however you want, or non-sugar. That's very nice of them, really, isn't it? Yeah. Excellent. Um, good sponsor. Happy with that. Good, good work, Michael, on uh, bringing that one. Bringing that one about. No, no. Um, we we are here for stick around episode. I think it's one hundred and sixty three now. I believe that's what comes after one hundred and sixty two. Although I have largely forgotten how to do maths or anything over the last few months. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm here with general experts Michael Johnson, hello, and Alex Wayne. Hi there. Uh, I myself am Clive. Hi. Um, and we're going to be talking about general stuff, as we have been. Um, so I'm excited what you guys are bringing to the table, because I'm bringing absolutely nothing. Um, I mean, I'm sure I'll bring endless bants and, you know, as ever. wittiness. But apart from that, I've got no material. Well, what I was going to review your album today, Clive, but I've decided I'm going to leave it for the next pod. Ooh. Because I've only listened to it twice now. And honestly, I think you need to listen to it a good 97 times before you can really get the full effect. So Review coming your way, 2050. <laughs> I mean, that's quite the compliment. It is, there's a lot of depth to it. 
I'm determined that you're at least going to make twelve pound sixty two from this from this one, Clive. <laughs> double the bench, double my last return. Okay, yeah, cool. Um, no, to be fair, um, that was from from the streams. I think I made about six quid, um, and Flux's parents kindly bought the last one on Bandcamp, which pretty much doubled my earnings because it cost about five quid, I think. So, wow. I think I made about eleven pounds. So. Yeah, if you really want, to, if you want to make money, get into the music biz. It is really, really <laughs> worth it. Um, considering I put in, I don't even want to count how many hours. I think I'm probably getting paid about a pence an hour. Which, you know, um, I was going to say it's probably more than some people in the world, but I'm not sure it is. I think that might be the lowest rate of work in in the world. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an achievement in itself. So. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and all that money didn't even go to me, so it all went to planting wonderful trees in various places. So we probably planted at least a tree for that. I well, then but we'll see. One, um, one tree is better than no trees. <laughs> this is true. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the way I'm looking at it. Where but, was yeah. it? Where was it planted? That's what I need to look. Um, <laughs> I was just wondering if it was Sheffield after they cut all the others down. <laughs> <laughs> Kept it local. Yeah. Um, I think it was in the Amazon somewhere um, that the trees were being planted, but there was various various places that were being def- def- deforested. Um, mm. That was happening, so who knows. Um, but how have we all been anyway? I assume you know not a lot's been happening. I've been... Um, doing lots of Christmassy things recently. I'm I'm now off until January the fourth, uh, which is good. Uh, been delivering some gifts today. Um, delivering some baking as well. Uh, I'll be round Michael Johnson's house later within the rules, by the way, just so people know. Uh, delivering his Christmas presents. I'm pretty pleased with what I've got for him. Hopefully, he's pleased as well. Wow. Yeah. Likewise, I'm pretty pleased with what I've got you. So, <clears throat> yeah, it should be a, oh, it should yeah. be quite the circle jerk. <laughs> Brilliant. I don't know what the yeah. rules are on distancing from an eagle, but we might find out later. <laughs> I don't know. I'll ring. I'll give Boris a ring. <laughs> I doubt he knows. I found this loophole. <laughs> Your guidance um. doesn't cover this. Um, <laughs> Doesn't say whether an eagle counts towards a party of six. Yeah, <laughs> please specify, <laughs> and you you can guarantee that um, if my work in the government is does anything to be out by, the, the response will come back saying read the guidance, <laughs> um, which will then bring up the same question again, and you'll just repeat it again, and the government will then also come back with just read the guidance, um, and like you'll just system. end up in a Michael. perpetual loop. <laughs> I'd just like to see. Sorry, I'd just like to see Boris going to ask Chris Whitty about that, about the eagle. That's what I'd like. I've to had see. this. Uh, I've had this letter come in. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, um, I've got a question yeah. for you. Oh yeah. Um, well, first of all, what year was Sounds it? Sounds ominous. What year was it that you first started shaving the uh, the scant remains of your hair? What year would you say that was roughly? Uh, Two thousand eighteen. Okay. Is it true that you only started doing that because the eagles uh, mistook them for little mice on your head and was consistently attacking you? Are there any truth to those rumours? I don't know who started this rumour. but uh, No, I'm afraid not. We've got more of a rapport than that. <laughs> <laughs> He's a, as a man of the eagles. 
It might mistake the hair on my shoulders. <laughs> that's that's where all the hair that's supposed to be on my head is, unfortunately. <laughs> and there's been far less incentive to shave them this year. Yeah. <laughs> Who gives a fuck who's going to see them this year, honestly? Yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. How often are you getting your shoulders out? No, <laughs> exactly. Um, but anyway, let, let's get things kicked off. Um, I can't remember who I started with last week, so I'm going to take a gamble and say I started with Michael last time and <clears throat> start with Al this time. In fact, we had a sandwich last time, didn't we? Well, I think... So I think I did start with you, Michael, because I think you were the concept bread. I think I was the bread. I think it's going to yeah, be which... more of a pizza this time. So I'm, I'm, the, I'm the base and the crust, and Michael's all the lovely cheese and toppings. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You're providing the bland foundation. Yeah, but Michael's. the actual sustenance um, is coming from me, but uh, <laughs> the flavour from Not Michael. Not to lie, I'm kind of hungry now. <laughs> Well, I'm going to talk about um, a couple of films, although uh, both in the same series. Uh, a lot of people may have been watching these already. Um, it, I'm going to talk about the first two films in Steve McQueen's Small Axe series, uh, which have been playing on the BBC recently and on Amazon Prime internationally. Um, there's five films in the series. Uh, I've only seen the first two so far, so I'm obviously only going to review them. Um, but I will come back to the last three. Uh, the two I'm going to review are Mangrove and Lubbers Rock. Um, now, for anyone who doesn't instantly know the name, name Steve McQueen or thinks he might be the uh, the daredevil film star of the 60s, um, I'm referring to the British director uh, most famous for Hunger, Shame, 12 Years a Slave, and more recently Widows. Um, and I'm, I was, I'm a huge fan of all of those. Um all of the Small Axe series focus in on black British history, um, most specifically uh, during the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, the The actual title, Small Axe, uh, comes from the West Indian proverb um, of a, sa- a similar name. So if you are the big tree, we are the small axe that was popularised by Bob Marley. I was just going to say, yeah. I didn't realise it was a proverb. Um, I just thought it was a Bob Marley lyric, but... Thank you for educating me no, on that. Well, thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> anyway, um, the first film in the series um, is called Mangrove, and it tells the story of uh, some very specific riots that happened in Notting Hill. Um, they were actually the inspiration behind the Notting Hill Festival starting, or at least one of the major, uh, fest- major points anyway. Um, it stars uh, quite a wide-ranging cast, probably the, the people you'll have heard of the most, uh, Letitia Wright and Jack Loudon, but it also stars the criminally underrated Sean Parks, um, Barbara Beast, um, Alex Jennings, various people. Um, it focuses in on the Mangrove restaurant, which until the 1990s uh, was a real restaurant serving Afro-Caribbean food uh, from the West Indies. Um, it was historically and in the film a target of some quite intense police brutality and police harassment um the owner had previously owned a bar which had allegedly um been a bit of a dodgy uh, nightclub as, as such but this was just a restaurant and a bit of a focal point for the west indian community um, um but all the same it was harassed over a period of time um, the main characters attend a demonstration uh, which quickly becomes violent, not on behalf of the uh, the British black protesters, but on behalf of the police. 
And the, the focus of the story is mainly on the court case. Uh, now, what I found interesting was there is a, quite a parallel here between this and another film I reviewed quite recently, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Now, whereas The Trial of the Chicago 7 is very much a Hollywood um, grandstanding um, liberal wankfest. And I mean that in a good way, by the way. I, li- I liked it. Um, this is a spectacularly down-to-earth and sobering affair. Um, it's a real it's a real part of British history that I knew nothing about. And I think I said to Michael before, I know, shamefully, very little about black British history as opposed to what we're taught in schools. And I think in you know recent times that's been come to the forefront when we've considered the Windrush scandal. Um, before I kind of give a more general opinion on the film, um, had you heard of the Notting Hill riots? Um, either of you? Yeah, I'd heard of them. Yeah. Were you we we well versed in them though? No, I wouldn't say so. Yeah. Am I making same as same as am, am I making this up or uh, this wasn't taught in school, was it? Or not to us no. anyway. Definitely, certainly definitely not to me, no. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting because it was the first time um, that the British uh, Crown, or the Crown Judiciary, uh, admitted that the police had a racial bias, and there was a racial bias almost systemically in the in the justice system. Um, so it, although it was a you know relatively small event, it had huge consequences. Now, the owner of the mangrove, um, Frank Critchlow, um was harassed for years and years after this. And I think, don't quote me on this exactly, but I think a total of 13 times he was charged and not once um, was he convicted. And in the 90s, he won a then record settlement from the Metropolitan Police of £50,000, which to me sounds pitifully low even for that time. Um, I mean, Mangrove is as much of a history lesson as it is as drama, but the performances are outstanding. Um, Sean Parks especially is a, a community leader who doesn't want to be a politician. He's a community leader who uh, wants to provide a focal point for his community, um, but doesn't really want to be involved in the protests. He doesn't really want to be fighting. He just wants to live a quiet life. And there's a particular t- point in the film where he has the opportunity very openly to, rather than stab his friends in the back, stab them in the front, accept a minor plea bargain and uh, walk away from it without the potential of sending, spending seven years in prison, um, which, as I understand it, happened to the real Frank Critchlow. Um, the, film is, it, the film is about, essentially, this is, well, with, with, obviously it's quite about the systemic failings of uh, racial politics in the 1960s, but to me it's also about um, accepting the life that you have and finding the joys where you can find them. Um, I, I was I was fascinated by this. It's the longest film in the se- in the series. Uh, most of them are about an hour, an hour and a half. This one clocks in at just over two hours, but it flew by, and the performances are outstanding. Uh, Letitia Wright is unsurprisingly excellent. Um, I'm going to move straight on before I I, I kind of bring you guys in um, to the second film of the series, and th- this is the one that has been getting the most attention um, in terms of end of year awards lists. Um, this one keeps popping up time and time again. It's called Lubbers Rock. Um, it stars a very unknown cast, and I think deliberately so in this case. Uh, Michael Ward, Amara Jason Alban, uh, Kada William Sterling, and others. Um, it's set in the 1980s at a reggae house party 
in West London. Um, the uh, we begin with people getting ready essentially for a house party. You know, just in a, almost a standard way. Uh, one woman sneaks out of her parents' house. Um, two women are um, are dolling themselves up. You have some overly peacocking uh, men putting together their outfits. And it feels, to be honest with you, when you're first watching the film, that you're waiting for a major story to pick up, a major thread to start, a major moment of drama. And it never happens, which might sound like it's um, rather underwhelming, but far from it. Um, the effect I got from Lover's Rock was an intimate portrayal, and God knows we need this right now, of how intense the pleasure you can get from listening and dancing to music can be. This film was as much a music video or a dance video as it was a drama. Um, the intimacy of the camera work, um, the ability to be in the, mid- in, in the middle of almost a, a medley of flailing limbs and sweat and joy. And um, the direction is stupendous. And I, this is not my line, but um, I loved it. Um, Lover's Rock is a pure expression of Afro-British uh, joy. Um a pure expression of love for music, and although I'll I'll, I'll be I'll be freely uh, I'll freely admit I'm not a huge reggae fan, um, I, I got caught up in the music, and I could just imagine being at this party and just be absolutely hooked and almost in a trance. And I, I, I guess I guess you guys will know what I mean when I say that. And I thought the most refreshing thing about it was, barring one small um, incident. The film is does not concentrate on a racist incident, uh, does not concentrate concentrate on a moment of black suffering, um, which let's be honest is all we seem to get if we're going to get a um, a black focused drama. Um, it focuses in on the absolute joy and mesmeric impact music and house parties can have, and I could summarize the plot for you even more concisely with this happened, this happened, they danced. And that's about it. And I hope that doesn't put you off um, because you'd be missing out on something which is more um, a visceral experience than anything else. Um, Either of you seen, I know I don't think you have, Michael, but Clive, have you seen either of these films or did you have any plans to? Yeah, I'd heard about them, but not very much about them and was intrigued. Um, The second one there sounds particularly my street but i think i need to watch them all um, mm-hmm. so thanks for uh reaffirming that they exist because it's the thing that i'd heard about and then forgotten about again so they, did you say they're all are they all on iplayer uh, yeah they're all on iplayer yeah um I d- oh, amazing um, i'm assuming they'll be on there for quite a while because it is a it's jointly funded between bbc and amazon um and yeah i, I i'm going to be watching the other three and i know the third one stars john boy john boyega um and the well, they, they all sound outstanding. But I was so impressed by these first two. I mean, it's no surprise. McQueen for me is perhaps the best British director going. Uh, I think his only competition, um, in my eyes. Well, actually, hmm. who would you, Michael? Who would you say is is the best British director going? Um, I don't know. I mean, Christopher Nolan would be an obvious one, but. Um the first person that jumped to mind when you said it was Lynn Ramsey, though. Yeah, well, she was my only competition that came to mind. Um, I mean, Steve McQueen, I think his director directorial style is... You can see the artist in him, especially the visual artist, in the sense that he's willing to let a camera linger on people without 
almost, you know, wedging in some dialogue. Um, that gives you a sense of intimacy and a sense of environment that you don't necessarily get anywhere else. Um, Lovers Rock it was was such a strange experience in the sense that, like I said, I was waiting for something to start, and up to a point, I almost got a little bit impatient for for, for maybe for about fifteen minutes, and then when I begin to understand, I begin to understand what was happening. I just let it wash over me, and it was almost a transcendental experience. Um, both very different films, as you can tell. One a courtroom drama, one essentially a an intense music video. Um, but yeah, uh, extremely impressed. All of obviously all of McQueen's feature length films are brilliant, um, <clears throat> but um, no, the second film there doesn't sound at all like what I was expecting you to say, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it reminded me of um, one of. Uh, one of the lyrics that I've heard this year that most sums up this year from uh, anthems by Charlie XCX. Uh, I just, I just want to go to parties. I just want to feel the heat from all the bodies. Yeah, well, I mean, th- there's literally a shot in Lovers Rock which concentrates on the wall, and you can see the sweat drip dripping down the wall. And that might sound disgusting, but honestly, especially in our current climate, I would kill to be in yeah. a room where the walls were sweating. Um, exactly. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, make yeah. me moist, please. Um. <laughs> Is that your rallying cry for 2021? Yes. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll happily spend the entire year sweaty as long as I'm having fun. Um, you know. But yeah, for anyway, sure. I'll, sure. I'll be watching the last three, and I'll, I'll probably, I'll do a part two, if not in the next pod, maybe the one after that, um, because I'm sure that they deserve a, a shout out just as much. But don't miss out on these, honestly. Um, I've noticed that in um, kind of like media coverage, it's TV critics who have been following these as much as it has been film. But um, to me, these are definitely they they should be out of the cinema. But I'm I'm glad that they're out there for the wider British public to watch for free for free. Um, Because, like I said at the start, and I don't mean this to be a cloying political point, but we just do not do not have enough education about, um, you know, the diverse history of British culture. Um, It's just not there. And I'm relying on a film which, for the, you know, okay, it's based on real real events, but are fictional um, to give me this education, and I shouldn't have to. I know know you can say it's always been out there if you look for it, but, you know, it shouldn't be. It should be part of the curriculum. I know you can't learn everything, but come on. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I'm really intrigued about these, so I'm going to check them out. And I'd love, um, on that note, a big, the minute you said it's a film where nothing happens, whereas I feel like that's probably turns most people off, I'm like, yes. Actually, I <laughs> don't know why, but I quite like that kind I mean, of thing. I hope it's obvious that I loved it, but I kind of wish someone had told me that before I went in, because I think I'd have loved it even mm. more. I think, like I said, there was about a 15-minute window where I was appreciating the way it was made, the performances, but I was thinking, when's this going to kick into gear? And it was only when I realised that it wasn't that kind of film that I truly enjoyed it as much as I did. But I think it, I could have enjoyed it earlier. In fact, I, I am going to rewatch it at some point. But um, yeah, I don't think that's a hindrance knowing that. Cool. No, that makes sense. Um, great, awesome. Well, let's move on to what Michael's got for us. Cool. Right, well, I was going to talk about. I'll talk about some TV first, although it's very music focused. So I've been watching um, the Netflix show Song Exploder 
which is derived from uh, what appears to be, I've never listened to it, but it appears to be one of the most acclaimed podcasts out there, uh, after us, of course. Um <laughs> And uh, it's it's a it, the the format is uh, simple, but it seems to be uh, seems to have really struck a chord with uh, a wide audience, uh, which is that songs are dissected, um, the composition of them, and uh, discussed with the musicians uh, the way in which they were put together in the first place. So there were two, uh, there were a total of eight episodes on Netflix, which were released in uh, two batches of four. At the moment, I've only listened. I've only watched the episodes for the songs that I'm familiar with, um, and it's quite a diverse range as well, which I think is uh, part of the appeal of the format of, uh, of the of the Song Exploder brand. Uh, I've watched. Um, well, there's, uh, there's a song on there from the uh, underrated uh, rapper slash R and B star uh, Ty Dolla Sign, um, and then there's also. Uh, the first episode that I watched, and which was uh, seemed like to me like uh, at the time I was, as I was watching it, it felt like uh, one of the best things I'd watched really in musical terms. Um, dissects the song "Wait for It" from, of course, the blockbuster musical Hamilton. Uh, it is the best song in the musical, I think. And uh, hearing Lin Manuel Miranda and his some of his collaborators um, talk about uh, the meaning behind. You know, very intricate parts of how the song was uh, was put together, uh, not just the lyric, but the lyrics, but the construction of the actual track really enhance the understanding and appreciation of it. Uh, and I had to go back and re-listen to the uh, the Hamilton soundtrack once again after watching it. And I think that's that's the key about this show. You know, it'll give you um, give you a new light to view songs in, uh, and it's very interesting to hear. Uh, vocal tracks or the instrumental tracks listened to in isolation and sometimes see uh, the musicians' reactions to that. Watching Michael Stipe of uh, R.E.M. listen back to his own vocal track uh, from Losing My Religion uh, in isolated a cappella form and seeing his reaction to that is, uh, you know, is quite something. And you can see that it really transports some of these writers back you know, a long time in the case of a song like that. We're talking about uh, 30 years so in in some senses it can be quite an emotional watch I think as well. Um, similarly, um, there's an episode f- uh, covering Hurt by Nine Inch Nails, which is the uh, the closing coda to uh, Trent Reznor's 1994 classic, The Downward Spiral. Um, Hurt for me is a song which it's one of those songs that pe- where people <coughs> always select um, select it as an example of where it covers better than the original with the Johnny Cash cover. Uh, which is covered in the episode briefly as well. Uh, but in my case, um, it, for me, it's an example of one where a lot of people think that, but I think the reverse is true. I much prefer the original, which I think is imi- in- inimitable in the way that it's put together. And obviously, the episode dives um, quite a bit into that. Uh, I also watched an episode covering Love Again by Dua Lipa from uh, this year's Future Nostalgia album. Um, and I wasn't sh- quite sure what to expect because obviously this isn't a classic song like some of those that I just mentioned um, and it, it's more contemporary but I think it was one of my favourites of, of all that I watched because it, again it was a good example of what the show uh, brings in terms of uh, of enhancing your understanding and appreciation of a song um, there was a great moment where um, 
Dua told a story about how she went out, came back to the studio, and uh, two of her co-songwriters writers had um, come up with a line, uh, hot damn, you got me in love again. And she was uh, she was instantly like, no, we're not having hot damn as a lyric on the album. you know." Uh, and obviously in the final version, it's transformed to god damn. But I think it's good because when you listen back to the album um, and the song, uh, you remember you'll remember these little quirks that have come out that you wouldn't otherwise have known about, and I think that's that's key to um, what the original podcast and now the show's uh, appeal is. And the other episode, the only episode that I've watched that I haven't mentioned covers uh, "When You Were Young" by the Killers, and I'm pleased they went with that song mm. rather than Mr. Brightside because even though I like Mr. Brightside, I know a lot of people don't, and it's been bludgeoned uh, by overplay over the years. Of course, I think "When You Were Young." I think it really holds up as the best Killers song, uh, certainly yes. the ones I know. I know. It's my favourite. <laughs> my, Is it, yeah. In fact, I've actually um, been on a Killers... I've been listening to the Killers this week, actually, and last week. Don't don't ask me why, but sometimes you go back to a band. Sorry, I don't want to take over your review, but yeah, totally agree. Yeah, well, I've, uh, I mean, I've only listened to... Um, I'm only familiar with the first three Killers studio albums plus the Sawdust compilation. Uh, I like Hot Fuss, but I always thought it was a little bit overrated, and Day and Age I found so disappointing, largely apart from the track Spaceman, that after that I didn't really pay a lot of interest to them anymore. But Sam's Town, you know, is stands out as a great album um, amongst those albums there. Uh, it always has done. Um, I think it's quite different to the two albums either side of it. And as the lead single, When You Were Young, I remember, uh, it, I remember exactly why it still means a lot to me, because... Um, in 2006, in that late summer, moving into autumn period, when I was just about to go to university for the first time, um, I remember I'd basically spent the last two years, uh, certainly during the holidays, just sort of getting up at midday every day and uh, subsisting on a diet of microchips and micro pizza. <laughs> um, I remember uh, during that period, I'd, I'd started to try and make an effort just before I went to uni. I was getting up uh, about six, half six on a morning and going jogging. And then remember when I would get back in, I'd watch every morning, I'd watch um, MTV 2's countdown of the uh, the most requested videos from the last 24 hours. So when it was, that was exactly, this is exactly why uh, Welcome to the Black Parade um, is, is such a meaningful song to me as well, because it was the same period. Uh, although I think it's it it's a fa- fantastic song um, that I would I would rank above when you were young even, but uh, the, the, this when you were young was exactly the same sort of time, uh, and I remember finding it such an exciting song. It's completely different to anything on Hot Fuss. Uh, it has that Springsteenian vibe that is referenced uh, on the Song Explorer episode for sure, and you know there's a lot of talk about how uh, the topography of Nevada and um, the location of Las Vegas, of course, from which the Killers hail, influenced the sound of it. Um, and I think it's it's an example of um, of the potential of this format of focusing in on a single song uh, in easily digestible twenty minute chunks. Um, so yeah, so I wouldn't be I wouldn't be able to easily pick a favorite of the episodes I watched, but I think you can see what I'm getting at and how. Um, you know, to to a music fanatic, how uh, enjoyable the, this sort of style of show can be. 
Definitely. Um, I need to. I've been recommended the podcast hundreds of times, as you can probably imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I saw it on Netflix, I was like, oh, I should watch this. <laughs> but I still haven't got around to doing any of it. But yeah, I def- this definitely sounds very interesting. And it appeals that it's 20 minute snippets. Um, because I think you can, this is the type of thing where I think sometimes I, I worry a bit. Because sometimes I'm like, especially if I love a song already, if I really love it. I almost want to not know any more about it. Yeah, um, it ruins the mystique. Because I, I worry that some of it might ruin some of the magic, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas if it's a song that I'm less bothered about or don't know, I'm more, or is already overplayed or whatever, <laughs> I'm less bothered about that kind of thing. Um, and I think 20-minute snippet is lessens the chance of that because I think you just you can go too deep to where it just ruins the, um, yeah. like you say, the, I guess the mystique, I think mystique is such a big part an underplayed part of music um and i think dylan would absolutely say this i think he's probably pretty much made his career on it um <laughs> not going into that kind of stuff um and it is and i think if you went into it for everything everything would seem a bit less magic um which in, is interesting because it makes it also more like i don't know what i'm trying to say here but more like accessible to the layman in terms of doing art mm-hmm. i think is more accessible than people realize um, and maybe that's just because i make art but um i don't think it's i think some people see it as like oh my god you must be so talented to sit down and write a song i don't really see it as that i see it as these different chunks of things that i put together and then you know when i finished it i don't think that's magic i think that's the thing that i've worked on for three hours <laughs> or whatever yeah. it's now come out and finished yeah. and it's it's a process yeah, that i've gone through it's the- not they don't see the graft, does it? Yeah. No, it's not just like I sit down and play my guitar and this thing just comes into my head. It does. Like There are moments of, like that where yeah. you'll, you'll obviously have to start playing something and you'll just play some random chord sequence and then you'll just sing some random crap over the top and at some point the random crap you like and you're like, ah, cool, that's cool. I'll stick with that. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like anything. You just kind of work at it and get it done. Um, but yeah, anyway, I really would be interested in just... Just seeing different people's processes for this kind of thing as well. That's the thing. Really I think interesting. there's a balance to be struck, obviously, but I think I am interested in um, in knowing about the artistic process, I think. I think personally, I think it would vary from person to person. I don't really fear that sort of um, that, the mythology behind it being shattered or whatever, I think. Uh, and for me, there's a, when, you go, when you get into these things, if they're good, like these episodes certainly are, then it draws it draws out new things. It makes me more excited about songs that I've already mm. I'm already well, well familiar with. You know, just another example that's popped into my head. Uh, Dua Lipa mentioned she made a really really interesting point about how um, there's a lot of juxtaposition in her work and in the sound that she tries to create that she identified as being a result of a joint British Kosovan identity. And I think those sort of things are things that. If if you wouldn't really think about them otherwise, that's that's the sort of value that I get from hearing artists talk about the the process that they they've undergone. I think so. I just think that's a good example. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There was an example. I'm just trying to find it now. There's an example of where this happened. Um, I read. I think I've talked about murmurations before on a Ben Howard's Noonday Dream album, the last song, which I absolutely adore. And I wasn't watching something like this, but I, met, I heard him talking about it or. Um, somebody referencing something that he'd said and I'm just trying to find the line um, it's something about the end of the world I'm going to find it Con- live control effing happening uh, missed the end of the world and that was just fine 
Um, I've always loved that line. And then I heard him talk about it. And essentially he was in, I can't remember why, where, but let's pretend it, it wasn't Argentina, I don't think. But let's pretend it was. He was in South Argentina and he was going to go to the end of the world. Uh, but he missed it because he was doing something else. Um, and that, it, in a way, I was like, oh, that's a really, actually, it's a really literal line. <laughs> yeah, in a way. Uh, whereas well, I'd interpreted it as like this really weird, but I mean, that's the magic of art. Like, And I think... I think actually, if you boil things down, most lines probably are quite way more literal than you think. But they're so specific to something that that person's done that to everyone else, they're just like, "Well, that makes no sense to me." So I think it must be abroad. Yeah, I think <laughs> you're probably. I think I agree. Actually, I think you're more along the sort of lines I would agree with when you look at lyrics solely, because we project so much of what we want to think lyrics mean onto lyrics. That yeah, it can sort of be um, ruined a little bit. I think, and. On, on that topic, Trent Reznor appears in... Obviously, he appears in the episode about Hurt, but he doesn't compromise his usual stance just for the sake of this show. He refuses to discuss the meaning of any individual lyrics in the song, mm. uh, which I think is exactly what you're getting at there. And he, he comments himself that he, there's been so many occasions where other artists work, he's found out what the lyric meant, and then he's been like, oh, well, I didn't think it meant that, and that, that sucks compared to what I thought, you know? Yeah, totally. It's, it's, that's, I guess, the beauty of art, isn't it? Having your own interpretation, which gets taken away if you absolutely... And that's the different is the difference is Song Exploder's more about the, I'm guessing, more about like the creation of it rather than what it means. And I think if you tell people yeah. what something means, then you take away a lot of the magic of it. Um, and even though I still love that song, and, and, and Ben Howard obviously didn't write that line for everyone to think, yeah. I'm walking to the end of the world. And that's what it's about. Yeah, but it fact, I don't think he said this in an interview. I think it's somebody um, is coming back to it. I think it was someone in his band who said that they thought that's what it was about, and it would, that would absolutely make sense. Yeah. Um, but you often write lines like that that to you, you know, they're really literal. But you think actually that's a really cool line, and someone could take a hundred different meanings out of that. Yeah, well, it has. It sounds profound, doesn't it? But then when you look yeah. at it, when you look at it under a microscope, it sort of saps the poetic resonance away from it. Yeah, totally. But it's really interesting. So, and it's a lot of stuff we've been talking about, Michael. All this, how stuff comes about. Indeed, um, yeah, indeed. Michael, do you remember when you killed my favourite Oasis lyric? <laughs> oh, when I told you it was nicked from uh, John Lennon. Yeah, which don't get me wrong, I love John Lennon. So that's just you know another string to his bow. But it kind of killed that song a little bit for me. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll 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 tell it exactly as Noel Gallagher told it because it was it was <laughs> it's classic Noel Gallagher really. Obviously, they get accused of stealing from the Beatles constantly, but this was this was just straight up theft. I think it was taken from some diary or some collection of writing that Lennon had done, and uh, Gallagher said, "I, I saw saw it said, um, uh, going to start a revolution from my bed because you said the brains I had went to my head.' I thought I'm having that." <laughs> Basically, John Lennon's cast off, and um, it's the best lyric in any Oasis song. <laughs> <laughs> it is a fabulous. I didn't realise that was a that had come from a just a John. Right. <laughs> but yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah, that's quite a large thing to nick. It's definitely. <laughs> I mean, creativity is essentially just nicking stuff from loads of different people um, in a way. In a way, the, way. There's but, overt ways, and then there's yeah, uh, there's overt ways, and there's I think you can nick sort of small phrases and put them into other sentences, and <laughs> or you can just nick an entire couplet. Also, um, uh, well, that's just ruined the song for me as well. Now <laughs> it hasn't really because like Oasis are that type of band to me who who I would imagine probably 
nicked some of their slides, and that's they're the kind of brash, don't give a shit type band. Well, it's it's weird, which isn't it? I like. There's nothing yeah. particularly original about them, but no one else is really like them either. So no, <laughs> that's that's what's. I think that if you can do that, that's a beautiful thing. By the way, can you guys hear a cat purring down the microphone? <laughs> no, I can't. I wish I could. Is that good or bad? Were you wanting us to hear it? I don't know. It might have been good for, you know, a bit of, what do they call it? ASMR? A- what What is that? Uh... Hey, uh, we're the Al's audio cut out. We, we suspect cat-related as it cut pretty much around the purring comment. Uh, so cats in our band, they're not. But um... no. <laughs> Also kind but of you... are. <laughs> also well, kind of are. Thing you is... only missed a... Um, what was a riveting segment, probably the best segment we've ever recorded. Uh, <laughs> of course. About of course. The Sopranos, which was great, but we, we can't repeat it um, because we're not actors. We, we, we very much live in the moment. So we're just going to carry on. But um, just so you know, an amazing segment led by Alex Wayne just happened on The Sopranos. Yeah. Um, but we'll take Cat. it back. It was two Sorry, hours go long. On out. Yeah, yeah, it was... <laughs> Tell you what, cat, it's a good thing cats are cute because they are dickheads, but uh, in the best possible <laughs> way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, great. Well, let's let's move over to Michael um, now that everything's working again for what you were going to finish on. Yeah, I was going to talk about a film I've rewatched um, from about ten years ago, Banksy's film uh, "Exit Through the Gift Shop," uh, a film I originally watched when I was going through a sort of surge of films when I was really sort of getting into film. Um, and I think part of the reason I sometimes now have a problem approaching films um, and get, building up enthusiasm for them, unless it's something I'm specifically excited about, is that uh, during that period, about 2012, 2013, I watched a lot of films that were inter- that I found interesting, uh, looking in from the outside, and which were structurally very exciting, um, very playful, uh, some of them experimental, did unexpected things in terms of structure and also in terms of uh, my expectations going into them. And I think this is one of them. Uh, This is, it might be a documentary, it might be a mockumentary. No one's really sure, I think, in a a quite typical Banksy style. Um, The film, it's hard to talk about really without, uh, because I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it kind of ends up being about something different to what you think it is going in and uh, what you think it is about for most of the film. Um, it's hard to say whether the film's about Banksy or about um, really the main f- main star of the film, the main focus, a French uh, a French artist, I guess you could call him, Thierry Guetta, um, better known as Mr. Brainwash now, uh, as the film explains and extrapolates upon. But if, for anyone who's a fan of Banksy, the film would be a must-see. It does feature some uh, classic Banksy stunts in it. Uh, you get a sort of peek behind the curtain of Banksy at work, in a way that um, hasn't happened too often, I think. Uh, but it's the way that the film sort of morphs and evolves over time that, like I say, is one of the most interesting things about it. Uh, it starts off as being kind of feel, feeling like a, a film by Guetta about street art in general, with Banksy as a sort of crown jewel. And then it flips on its head and becomes a sort of Banksy film about uh, about Guetta, which is what's uh, interesting and a little bit subversive about it. Again, classic Banksy traits, really. Um, 
So th- there is a, there is a whole there is a whole mythology about around the film it seems, and people have sort of debated whether uh, whether the whole thing is a stunt, um, which again without going into details is hard to explain exactly what they're referring to, but um, certainly legitimate thing to question after seeing the film, uh, and if it is, then it certainly involves a lot of planning because some of the footage in the film goes back to about ten years before the film's release. Uh, and it seems like at the very least, uh, if it wasn't a stunt, then it certainly interweaves a lot of um, a lot of details and incidents from Guetta's own personal life over that time into the movie. Uh, and what it eventually ends up being about is about the uh, the interplay between and the relationship between uh, art, street art, and perhaps more widely, and commerce, and the degree to which the two are separable or not. Uh, and it does so through the uh, by channeling it through the medium of two uh, very different artists with seemingly very different perspectives on the world. And I think, depending on what your views about art in general are, not just um, not just art of this sort, but any sort of art form, uh, whether music, film, TV, etc., literature. I think, depending on what your views are about those subjects going in, it can be very disarming. This film. Uh, and it was well well worth a revisit for me, um, and I got just as much from it as I did uh, back the f- the uh, last time I f- the first time I watched it. And I think it was a f- it's a film I could easily watch every ten years, and it would probably resonate in the same way with the same sort of messages to me. Uh, but it's a very interesting one for anyone who hasn't seen it. I have seen it. I love it. Um, I mean, I hesitate to call it a documentary, uh, a bit like you said, but um, it's a fascinating film. Um, I remember watching it with such, well, maybe not cynicism the right way, such suspicion about it. And obviously it drew me in and it's fascinating. And like you said, it explores that kind of relationship between art and commercialism, which Banksy himself or themselves, depending on who you think it is or if they're a collective, uh, kind of explore that in real life in a way. At times, I feel like Banksy's a sellout. Other times, I think, what a great modern artist. But um, this film is stupendous. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not seen it, and I keep meaning to. Um, so, And that's made me... I just thought it was like a straight documentary, and that does actually make it sound more interesting. So, it's, if anything, it's gone up in the list. Um, and as well, um, just to note, my brother, who lives in Nottingham, there was a Banksy... Um, appeared literally like around the corner from him he says um a couple of weeks ago and it's now got like the the, i don't know if it's the council or somebody has put in like massive screens around it so that people can't get to it um but apparently there's just like crowds and crowds of people which uh i'm sure was lessened recently than it would have been in in more in less covid times but yeah apparently still (laughs) he said it was interesting it sounded it Mm-hmm. It's it's a shame, really, that though, isn't it? Because um, artwork like that, which is essentially given away for free, should be there so everybody can see it. But um, yeah, especially in today's times, that's difficult, I suppose. In terms of that whole bundling together of the themes that I mentioned about art versus commerce, or whether it is whether they do exist in opposition to each other at all, um, and you know, every everything about that. It's the, the title of the film is a clue, basically, which I didn't pick up on the first time I watched it when I went into it. But it's sort of it's it's kind of a, a neat encapsulation of everything that's contained within it. Mm-hmm. 
I want Banksy to come and do a mural on the hideous uh, shopping centre in Stockton called the Castle Gate, uh, soon, soon to be torn down, which will make it all the more artistic, probably. Um, I, I feel like um, such a monstrosity with probably the worst car park ever built. Um, you know, you know, one of those kind of 60s style car parks, Clive, where the spaces aren't big enough. There's pillars everywhere. The corners <laughs> are extremely tight. Um, if you, ha- I, I've got a fairly small car, but if you had a big car, it'd be an absolute fucking nightmare. Um, but it has its charm. It's almost brutalist, but it doesn't deserve to be part of an art movement. If you know what I mean? <laughs> it's it's sub brutalist. Yes, yeah, sub brutalist. Yeah. <laughs> What even is uh, in there? I don't think I've ever... Um, well, I'll, I'll give you uh, the best second. There's a B&M Bargains. Uh, yes. There's a there's a Boots. There's a Timpsons. Um, I think if you'd like asked me to guess what was in there, those uh, were probably much of the three shopping centre I would have guessed first. <laughs> uh, there is there's a Subway. There's a uh, Home Bargains. A Heron Foods, I think. Um, oh, and a Wilco's. And there'll be others, but uh, others are Greg's. There's two Greg's, I think. Of uh, course. <laughs> <laughs> and they're both open till four a.m. Uh, well, I hope so. I wish they were. <laughs> Would that be useful for you? Oh, I mean, can you imagine that? Like, you just get you get the Greg you get the Greg shakes, you know, in the middle of the night. And just, just you know, I need an infusion of flaky golden pastry. Uh, let's get down to I Greg's. mean, I thought you were going to say you come out of a club and you fancy a Greg's, but I mean, what you've just said is more is more phenomenal for sure. <laughs> get the Greg's shakes. Is that just like a northeast problem? It is. Yeah, I mean, um, if Greg's have their way, it'll be nationwide, obviously. Like if I went with Greg's for too long, I'd end up turning up at Greg's carrying a plank of wood and just go Greg's. But like, like super hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they just hand it over like Mark does. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, just hand me over a chicken Free of bake, charge. A chicken bake, <laughs> and a corned beef hash or whatever it's called. Corned beef hash. Well, what do you call it? I don't pie bake. bake I, I think they renamed it a bake. Right. Okay. Is it a ba- is it a bake though? I don't know. It used to be That's a pasty. So I don't know. Don't know what's going on. I don't know Maybe who's in it, charge of the nomenclature at Greg's. Maybe they weren't allowed to use pasty because that was, I don't know, Cornish. <laughs> I'm sure, look, I'm sure Greg's are in some ways every bit as evil as every big company is, but it feels like they're not. I yeah. don't know why they feel wholesome, despite the fact I'm sure they're exploiting the workers in some way. But um, I don't so, know. So if someone at Greg's gets hold of the recording of you saying that, they're going to get a massive pay rise now because they've just <laughs> done their job. Well, yeah, of course they have, yeah. <laughs> They've marketed them as being a cuddly northern working class company. <laughs> That's everywhere. <laughs> Clive, right. we have, uh, Clive, I know you've been busy with your album, your outstanding album that needs to be listened to at least 117 times. It's <laughs> um, gone up, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, cat, no, we're not, we're not doing this again. <laughs> Fuck right off. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even think uh, about it. Yeah, we're not doing that again. Um, but <laughs> what did you, you do? What? Did you throw her out of a window? No, I, I picked her up gently and put her down because she's a princess. But uh, <laughs> no, up again. Right, stay away. Um, she's determined to mess up this podcast. Yeah, um, 
Clive, what have you, you must have been watching something or listening to something. You don't have to give us a review, but I want to hear what you've been interested in. <laughs> okay. Um, well, obviously, I've been listening to the 70s stuff, and uh, you may or may not know. You probably do know if you listen I to I do this. know. Uh, the, <laughs> my album's very ear list. Uh, just on 1977, so you can find that on the website, which I'll do in plug time. But yeah, so lots of 70s stuff. Haven't been listening. I'm going to start now. I'm putting a pause on it and doing this year now so um, so that I can write a list for the end of this year by the end of Jan, hopefully. So we'll start doing some more of that. In terms of what we've been watching, I've not watched anything on my own, um, but me and Elle have been watching some stuff. And mainly we watched the first two seasons of The Crown, which I hadn't seen before. Um, Everyone's watching The Crown, it feels like. It was on the top. 10 of the Netflix things um, and Elle had already seen the first two seasons but she was happy to watch them again so I was like cool let's do that uh, it's good yeah good um, what else well, we watched um, Dove 5 Bloods yesterday which I enjoyed but I think you've already talked about it, haven't you Elle I have, so I didn't. no I haven't no I think Michael, oh, Michael thought I was going to talk about it and I, I haven't thought, seen I it yet I thought you had yeah I was uh, desperate to see it, and then for whatever reason, I just didn't get round to it. I will definitely watch it at some point. But um, oh, I could, could have sworn I was watching it. And I was like, oh, I remember I'll talking about this bit. So I wonder what who I, I'm think I, might, of. I think I might have said I was excited about it, and then I just haven't yeah. seen it for some. Like I'm excited about Mank, the new David Fincher film, but I've decided I have to watch Citizen Kane first again uh, before I do, and I haven't got round to that yet. So it's yeah, like cool. it's like me buying books i've got like about 20 books on my bookshelf that i haven't read yet and then i'll buy another one and it makes oh, no yeah. sense but and then you get but i think we've talked about this before haven't we? you get bored of the ones that have been on your sat on your shelf for three years so you don't you never read them yeah <laughs> you've been staring at them for so long um but yeah so i really enjoyed the five plus but i haven't uh, prepared anything so i won't waffle on but maybe i'll do that next episode but we just watched that last night other than that have i don't think i've seen any other films we're having the um it's a bit, it's a very weird time because we're having the attic done, so like um, just just crap everywhere. So I have my like my the second TV, which is my, my TV from before uh, before I moved into L's, uh, is now it was in the spare room, but the spare room's now full of absolute shite, um, which is usually where I play my games and stuff. So I haven't even been able to do that because you can't even sit down in there. But the attic should be done in about a week, so hopefully then I'll be able to uh, play a few more games. and But mainly, I'm going to be able to record stuff really easily because it's going to be a sick studio up there, which I'm excited about. Oh, but yeah, I've just so been mainly playing a lot of guitar, which obviously I can't really talk about. So- well, it sounds like we might even get a third album, which um, <laughs> in advance, I'm going to say, needs to be listened to at least 327 times. Um, it's going to have more depth to it, that's for sure. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to... Not th- ruin the I mystique by never going on Song Exploder. Wayne will be just about to um, pay for the album on Bandcamp and the cattle stand on the <laughs> And accidentally move it up to 50. Instead of just one. <laughs> and then I get on, a massive check. She's still on the desk, but she's behaving herself at the minute. Uh, just as I say that, she starts moving towards the microphone. <laughs> Stay over there. That's your space. This is mine. I don't know where Luna is. She's probably outside, but she's not generally. She does start walking over the keyboard when I'm at work quite often, and I have sent the odd email with random letters Honestly. in it somewhere because she's decided to stand on it. Well, don't, I put don't bit, respect I've, borders, do they? They're worse than the EU. <laughs> <laughs> Get the gunboats out. <laughs> Let's protect our fish, the ones with British flags on them. I did enjoy you there when someone tweeted... Um, 
Well, the headline was, uh, yeah, the, I think the headline was from the mail. It was just gunboats to protect our fish. And then someone had tweeted, uh, this only becomes marginally more absurd if you imagine that they're talking about one fish. <laughs> <laughs> you well, fucking get near this tuna. <laughs> That's Fred, that. I've been grooming. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah, it's mad, isn't it? But no deal. <laughs> I've had, right. I had another letter through today making sure, like, make sure you sign up for thingy status because in June 2021, you're going to be booted out. And I was like, I already have. Why are you sending me this letter? Is it not? Have you cancelled it again? A hostile <laughs> environment. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is, yeah, that, that, I know that they're probably sending that just literally to everybody, regardless of whether they've done it. But to me, that would create more anxiety. I'm like, hang on, did I do that wrong? Am yeah, I not allowed to stay? Yeah, well, that's probably because it's come, from the, it's come from the Swiss embassy. So I'm like, I don't know, they're less likely to send me something like that than the, the British government, you'd imagine. If anyone should be ready for life outside the EU, it's the Swiss embassy. <laughs> this is true. We yeah, should be taking them. tips. <laughs> I'll go I'll go and speak to them. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a great embassy. It's annoying that they used to be in Manchester and now I have to go to London every time I need to do something uh, passport related. Which literally, I literally went down, paid like 80 quid to get to the, because I had to have a specific appointment. I couldn't get an advance ticket to go down and back, literally to give my fingerprint, which took about 10 seconds. Um, <laughs> is, that because, like, uh, is that because they moved or is that because they've closed a one in, they had, they had like an extra they, one in Manchester? They had a, there was one in Manchester, yeah, that's closed. Oh, but, but I think they had two. I don't think it moved. Austerity. But I'm not sure. I know, yeah. Wow. Fucking everything down south, innit? <laughs> <laughs> well... I think it's about that kind of time, Clive. Um, I think it is about that time, isn't it? And mm-hmm. I, I imagine you're referring to plug time, uh, which I'm going to do in a delicate tone today. So, yes, I'm a, tone. Yeah, I'm going to pretend <laughs> to be a cat purring but, <laughs> while talking. <laughs> um, at Stick Around Cast on Twitter, you can follow us on there. We've got. Um, that's basically where you'll find out whenever there's an article or an episode posted. So a good place to follow. If the Facebook page is slash stick around podcast, um, same thing as a Twitter feed, really, but it just reposts onto there. Hopefully it's still doing that. I should probably check at some point. Um, you can find us on stickaroundpodcast.com. That's our lovely website. There's a contact form there if you want to get in contact with us and have any questions. Or you can find every article, including my top albums of every year series, um, and every episode is the only place you can get even the really, really, really old episodes. And I think we've been going for now, is it over five years? I feel like it was I, 2015 we started. I believe it. so, yes, I believe so. Uh, five so, yeah. years of absolute gold. Ne- nearly <laughs> six years, nearly six years. Oh, nearly six, well. Yeah, well, there's probably about five years of absolute gold and then about a year of trash, but that's... <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's intermingled. Yeah. It's, 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 there, was, there wasn't a bad series, it was just... You know... Every series has had some shit in it, so you can't skip anything really, <laughs> which is annoying. But <laughs> just the way it is, it's just the way we roll. Um, and yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. You can uh, best thing you can do is find us on iTunes, give us five stars because that seems to bump us up, uh, get more people listening in terms of randomers, which would be useful. Or just tell your mates, go yeah, these guys are good. You should listen to them. They're, they're well, good. The cats ruin the recordings. <laughs> And they don't even get remotely mad at them because they're lovely people. Yeah, I mean, you've just got to accept that with cats. Um, you know, they will they will do this. Um, 
it's kind of an abusive relationship, a really cute, fluffy, abusive relationship, um, which will never stand up in court. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the cat is basically going to get its way and will fuck some stuff up and you won't be able to do anything about it. So, yeah, it's not a great one, but they are fantastic. <laughs> what a catastrophe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <Oy. laughs> I tell you what. <laughs> I, I like cats, but I don't. I, I don't think I can be a advocate anymore for the feline. Oh, <laughs> I'm not. Wow, I'm not feline good after that. Uh, <laughs> do you want feel free to chip in, Clive? You know, I've any... <laughs> not got anything on this. I was just going to say that Luna's been great during the, the lockdown because. Cats just don't give a shit. So it's it's quite refreshing to like you get annoyed because there's been another announcement of oh you were going to be allowed to do this but you're not now so fuck you, um, and you're like oh, I'm fucking annoyed about that and especially because Boris has said it and even if he said something good I think I'd be pissed off about it. But uh, then you just look at your cat lying down. It's like oh Luna doesn't give a shit. Maybe I shouldn't. That's that's a good point. Yeah, mm-hmm. quite nice. Obviously her life has changed very little, but. <laughs> <laughs> People still stroke her as well. It's not like you know she's she's a walking corona bomb. If anything, but I, can, can I tell that uh, can I tell that Frankie Royal joke about cats now? Go on then. When he said, um, uh, "Turns out that um, they discovered that cats can get coronavirus," uh, which worried me. But then I found out it can't be transmitted sexually. <laughs> 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 Oh, oh, there was there was, a, there was another joke as well, wasn't there? Because I think the world's the world's oldest cat died or something. Yeah. Uh, and he and he said uh, after a series of small strokes, which presumably it enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all the cat jokes in his arsenal, though. Yeah, I mean they're pretty good. So. <laughs> yeah. Right, and on that note, we're going to say bye, and we'll see you. Next time, where hopefully I'll have my proper mic and my proper studio set up, so I'll sound like Mark Commode um, and have something to bring to the table, much like Mark Commode. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll speak to you in a couple of weeks, I imagine. Um, I've been Clive. We've had Michael Johnson. Indeed. And we've had Alex Wayne. And Bailey, my cat. Do, can you meow for us, Wayne, just to finish uh, off? No, she only really meows when no, she wants you? food. Oh, can I? Um, yes, you do an impression right, of her. Food, I'll do yeah. an impression of her asking for food, which conspicuously sounds like the word now. Now. <laughs> wow, that is, that's haunting. <laughs> that's brilliant. That, fucking give me the food. Uh, yeah, I'll feed her immediately, yeah, because that is pretty simple, that. <laughs> Manly. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, remember to... Stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found the best podcast in the universe. It's Stick around. I hope it doesn't come out that Schwarzenegger's a massive paedophile. <laughs>